Good morning, I'm Pastor Ryan. I have to admit that this sermon had me on my toes with the inauguration the same day that this is supposed to be recorded. So shout out and thank you to Pastor January for the extension. For who knows how long have we all been thrown into a series of processing our ever-changing emotions and thoughts. And I want to welcome you into this service from whatever place that you're coming from. We're continuing this morning with our character study in the book of Esther, and the book of Esther has no mention of the name of God. God is absent from the text, much like how our lives feel today. But where do we find this hidden God in the story? I wish our character of the day would lend itself to an easy sermon on taking it slow and recentering, but this morning we're going to talk about the bad guy, the villain of the story, Haman. Boo! The book of Esther in Judaism is read aloud in the synagogue once a year during a festival called Purim. Esther is regarded as a comedy or a fun play, fun play which addresses important topics in a lighthearted fashion. One of the practices that I invite you into is the blotting out of Haman. This practice comes from Haman's ancestral connection as a Malachite, in which Deuteronomy 25.19 instructs the hearers to blot out the every member of the Amalekites because of their constant feud between them and the Israelites. When Haman's name is mentioned during the reading of Purim, the congregation in the synagogue boo and they stomp their feet and they use a noisemaker to blow out the name of Haman. And I invite you this morning at home to play along during my sermon. We were first introduced to Haman boo during chapter 3, in which King Xerxes is elevating him and awarding him with great honor and power. In the text, it is clear that after this power that Haman has given, he seeks to use it for the harm of the Israelites. There's this inciting incident between Haman and Mordecai in which Mordecai refuses to bow down to him, and this is a huge blow to Haman's ego. And in response, Haman decides not only that he will plot to kill Mordecai, but to commit genocide and to destroy all the Israelites. And with the roll of the dice, a date is set for the destruction of the Israelites. Our growth and our dislike of Haman not only continues to build as the story plays out. In his appeal to King Xerxes, he reveals his disdain for the Israelites in stating, there is a certain people dispersed among the peoples in all of your provinces of your kingdom who keep themselves separate. Their customs are different from those of all other people, and they do not obey the king's laws. And it is not in the king's best interest to tolerate them. Haman's anti-Semitism is clear here, that the culture, the way of life of the Israelites is what separates the two groups. And because of this, Haman wants to completely wipe out the people of Israel and their practices. And how often do we find similar language in our politics, further creating hatred for the other just because of difference? The story plays out for another three chapters, but I want to get to what I view as the turning point in the story in chapter six. Haman has just had a conversation with his wife, Suresh, and his friends who encouraged him to set up a poll to have Mordecai killed on. And in, in his excitement to have Mordecai killed, he immediately heads to talk to the king. It seems that the story can only get worse from here. And we feel this anticipation of the looming, of death looming in this story. This is where chapter six begins. That night, the king could not sleep. 
So he ordered the book of, chroni of the Chronicles, the record of his reign, to be brought in and read to him. It was found recorded there that Mordecai had exposed Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway and who had conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. What honor and recognition has Mordecai received for this? The king asked. Nothing has been done for him, his attendants answered. Here we see glimmers of hope out of the coincidence in the story. A king with insomnia and a sudden desire to read back on recent events, only to realize that something needs to be done to uplift and to honor Mordecai, whom Haman is attempting to kill. Verse 4 continues. The king said, Who is in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the palace to speak to the king about impaling Mordecai on the pole that he had set up for him. His attendants answered, Haman is standing in the court. Bring him in, the king ordered. Again, another coincidence in which Haman's actions happened to find him at the right place at the right time because of his selfish plans to kill Mordecai. Verse 6 picks back up. When Haman entered, the king asked him, What should be done for the man the king delights to honor? Now Haman thought to himself, Who is there that the king would rather honor than me? So he answered the king, For the man the king delights to honor, have them bring a royal robe the king has worn, and a horse the king has ridden, one with royal crests placed on his head. Then let the robe and the horse be entrusted to the one of the king's most noble princes. Let them robe the man with the king let them robe the man the king delights to honor and lead him on the horse through the city streets, proclaiming before him, This is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. Go at once, the king commanded Haman, get the robe and the horse, and do just as you had suggested for Mordecai the Jew who sits at the king's gate. Do not neglect anything you have re recommended. And only thinking about himself, Haman's own weakness launches his own downfall. He thinks that the king is talking about him, and the comedy built into this story is glaring. Of course, Haman, in thinking that the king is talking about himself, creates the most lavish of treatment only for a significant reversal to occur. Then instead of this lavish treatment is for Mordecai, Haman's enemy that he has continued to plot against this entire time. Instead, Haman must treat him how he wanted to be treated. The poetic justice here is off the charts. Why have we come to hate Haman so much? He's the ultimate figure piece of what it looks like to not love your neighbor as yourself. He's the character that not only looks out for himself, but plots and schemes for his own fame, power, and wealth. And in the process, actively looking for ways to not only oppress an entire people group, but to commit genocide. How many times have we seen this, this desire for power and manipulation with our own politicians and how we personally vote? Haman in the story is a character who is actively trying to hide and undo God in here through the elevation of himself. The hiddenness of God is largely due to the belief in the action of Haman. 
God's providence in Esther is evidenced through coincidence, but divine providence also functions alongside of the characters that seek to preserve life. God's providence is not only revelation and neither is the actions of the characters. It is a beautiful dance of mystery between the workings of God's movement and the movement of people that reveal God in the story. With an inauguration the day that I write this sermon, it's forced me to reflect on the past four years. Admittedly, four years ago, I wasn't one for politics, and it was much to my privilege that I could care less and look the other way. It did take a difficult season in my life to begin to take the steps to reconsider what my faith would look like. And as I watched the Capitol insurrection, and as the days have passed, the emotions that continue to sit with me are still ones of shame and anger. Both of them tied so deeply because of how Christianity was on display. Not only as a Christian myself, but as a pastor, I feel guilty and responsible. Partly because not too long ago, past me would have cast doubt on the critiques of Christian nationalism, would have remained silent and brushed off what have, what have occurred. I saw a little bit of me there and a little bit of Haman in me. I recently watched some of the footage captured by writer Luke Mollison that shows the self-proclaimed QAnon shaman lead a prayer in the Senate chambers. As a nerd, I'm drawn to the theology that is revealed by the prayer. And I'm going to read a portion of that prayer for you. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for gracing us with this opportunity to stand up for our God-given, unalienable rights. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for being the inspiration needed to these police officers to allow us into the building, to allow us to exercise our rights, and to allow us to send a message to all the tyrants, the communists, and the globalists that this is not our nation, that this is our nation and not theirs. And that we will not allow the America, the American way of the United States of America to go down. Thank you, divine, omniscient, omnipotent, and omnipresent creator God for filling this chamber with your white light and love, your white light of harmony. And thank you for filling this chamber with patriots that love you and that love Christ. There's so much to talk about here, and I'm not going to get into all of it because we have a lot of work to do. From glaring racism behind the language of white light, from the harming views of toxic masculinity and the divine providence as inspiration for the opportunity and the way for the insurrection to occur. The clear pull of power of ours and not theirs and the dissonance between what the actions of love, protection, peace, and harmony look like. And I'm sure there's so much more that I've missed, but these are just some that stood out to me. Here we are given a clear example of a modern day Haman that looks a little too closely like us. Well, maybe not looks, but sounds a little too closely like us. A religion that is so wrapped up in its own preservation that it's forgotten what it actually stands for. As it is value, as elevated the value of self over the care for others. And it's easy to call out the Hamans on TV, and the hard work is finding the Hamans within me, refining me. And this is the same challenge for us as individuals and as a community to, to continue to identifying our own pitfalls, acknowledging the ways in which we have acted as Haman and have looked out for ourselves instead of others, 
ways in which we have hid God. I want to end with a small portion of the timely poem, The Hill We Climb On by Amanda Gorman that stole the show of the inauguration and I'm sure you've seen across social media and news coverage. She writes at the end, for there's always light if only we're brave enough to see it, if only we're brave enough to be it. In an interview with Anderson Cooper, Amanda mentions that she wrestled with this last line and she eventually chose be it. She explains by stating, hope isn't something that we demand of others, it's something that we ask of ourselves. The hiddenness of God is revealed through the divine providence of and action of characters who are brave enough to love their neighbor as themselves. And may we be the characters in this story that we live today that reveal God's presence through our actions. And as we transition, the ministry staff would like to lead us in a time of prayer. Lord, I humbly confess and lay down before you the haman of comfort within me that causes me to be sedentary and silent. Lord, have mercy on me and reveal your spirit of compassion which empowers me to risk for the sake of others. I seal this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Lord, I humbly confess and lay before you the haman of autonomy and pride within me that causes me to so often trust and rely in my own competencies and strengths and resist true contrition of mind and heart. Lord, have mercy on me and reveal your spirit of truth, which empowers me to honestly see and act in the economy of your grace. I seal this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Lord, I humbly confess and lay down before you the haman of self-deprecation within me that causes me not to love myself as much as I love others and struggles to accept my own God-given worth. Lord, have mercy on me and reveal your spirit of unconditional love, which empowers me to see myself as you see me, as your beloved child. Empower me to have as much grace for myself as I do with others. I seal this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Lord, I humbly confess and lay down before you the haman within me that is relentless after perfection, that causes me to become paralyzed in self-loathing whenever I see my brokenness and my weaknesses. Lord, have mercy on me and reveal your spirit of kindness that allows me to exercise grace over my past wounds and hurts. It empowers me to let go of my need to perform. I seal this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. 
Lord, I humbly confess and lay down before you the Haman of envy and jealousy within me that causes me to become less confident in myself and to question my value. Am I good enough? Lord, have mercy on me and reveal your spirit of worthiness, which empowers me to appreciate the gifts you have given me that make me uniquely me, and with grace and confidence, share them with others. I seal this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Lord, I humbly confess and lay down before you the haman of self-doubt within me that causes me to become paralyzed sometimes with feelings of inadequacy. Lord, have mercy on me and reveal your spirit of encouragement, which empowers me to embrace my strengths and weaknesses. I seal this in the powerful name of Jesus.